Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? All right. Hey, we're all Hibernians. Amen. Hibernians, Hyde Park, something like that. Hey, it's a wonderful campus. This is my first time here. I remember driving by this. I was telling the family on the way uh, up here. I grew up in Jacksonville, um, Orange Park. I went to FCCJ and roamed around this area before I was saved. I, I remember seeing Hyde Park and and I actually, I just remember getting kind of convicted seeing this place for some reason. I don't know if you, any of you that got saved later in life, you kind of remember back things that kind of triggered some uh, conviction. And uh, just, I just remember driving by this place. It's at a, you know, the, the crossroads here at Lane Avenue and San Juan. And a lot of people drive by here. So just know that even a place like this that stands for Christ is going to be, be seen. Hey, please turn in your Bibles to Second Samuel chapter 9. Uh, we're going to look at this whole chapter today, and uh, my prayer is that we all all leave here today drawing closer to Christ, draw, drawing closer to our Father, God. It's good to see some uh, familiar faces here, too. A lot of people I've been going to church with for a while. Yeah, John, looking good. Amen. And so 2 Samuel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read the whole chapter. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my house continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat at my table always. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. Let's pray. 
Father, I pray for your blessing on this message today. I thank you for your word, the written word, the breathed word word of God that you have given to us to live by. And I pray that as we go through this passage of Scripture, that we, our eyes will be open, that our hearts will be open, that our minds will be open, Lord, that we will hear your word and that it will go into our hearts, Lord, that we may be changed to live closer to you today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a familiar Familiar passage, and I'm sorry, I'm going to have to take a... For some reason, saying Mephibosheth dries my mouth out. That is a long name. And uh, have you ever had any trouble saying that name? That's a tough one. But, um, but I love this, this illustration, and that's what it is. I want to share, my desire is to share one of the most beautiful illustrations um, of one of the most important concepts in the whole Bible. In fact, you know, it, it is one, uh, truly one of the most important concepts in the whole Bible. That's quite a claim, isn't it? But without grasping this concept, you and I cannot be right with God because it's the basis of how God deals with us. Without understanding this concept, we cannot have consistent victory over sin. We'll struggle with guilt. We'll lack joy. We'll even lack motivation to serve God if we don't understand and apply this concept to our daily walk with God. I'm referring to the glorious truth of the grace of God. And I applaud Daniel for his song selection today. Um, I was really blown away by, um, by the songs that he selected. You know, he's saying, um, your grace is enough. And hopefully after this message, when you sing that song again, dwell on the words of that song. Because God's grace truly is enough. Amen? God's grace is enough. And uh, forever he is faithful Forever he is true, forever, you know, God is faithful to us. And it's because of his grace. This one concept is um, it's overwhelming, just as the kids sang. Um, and, and if you've ever studied grace before, uh, it is absolutely overwhelming. Now, when I say grace, some of you kind of, hey, I've been there. You kind of shut it off. Oh, grace. He's going to preach on grace. Okay. But you know what? Grace is not a stuff. You know, it's like a stuffy theological thing that you file away somewhere. You know, grace is uh, one of the most practical, beautiful truths in all of God's word. It, again, it's at the core. It needs to be at the core of our daily experience with God. Today, I can only scratch the surface of, of grace. <clears throat> but I want to motivate you to begin a lifelong pursuit of understanding and applying God's grace in your life. You'll be richly rewarded. But I've got to warn you, Satan works overtime to confuse people on this issue. And uh, if you've been around church long enough, you know what I'm talking about. You know, some people turn the grace of God into licentiousness. And what that means is they feel like they have a license to do whatever they desire. And, hey, God's grace will cover it. I'm okay. And whenever somebody tries to point it out and say, hey, you need to be obedient to God's word, they cry out legalism. You're being legalistic, telling me what to do. You know, on the other side of the coin, you have people giving lip service to grace, but they live under the stranglehold of legalism. You know, their lives deny the joy that comes from knowing the grace of God. And so it's almost a balancing act. We are to live, as the Bible commands, to live righteous lives. In fact, in Titus, it says to, we are to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. So we're to live a righteous life, but a righteous life with joy. And we can only do that by the grace of God. The doctrine of 
God's grace is expounded in, in New Testament epistles that, that Paul wrote, like Romans, um, Galatians, Ephesians. So you can get in there and dive in, and like Ephesians chapter 2. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, I love it. Grace is so important, it says that's how we're saved. We're saved by grace. So I'm bringing to you a message today that is very important. One of the most important concepts that we need to grasp as believers is the grace of God. But who would expect to find it shining forth in the pages of 2 Samuel here? David. Don't you love David? Any of you guys relate to David? And you, and you say, man, I, I mean, any, well, ladies and gentlemen, is wow, look at David. David was a man after God's own heart. Have you ever sinned? All of us have sinned. David was a man after God's own heart, anointed by God, but he fell, didn't he? He sinned pretty bad. I mean, here's a guy, that's, that's why he, he's a hero of the Bible, but he also shows us we're, we're all human. He was only a type of Christ. He wasn't Christ. He was not infallible. But, but well, here's what David knew. He knew and applied God's grace in his life. That's what he did. When he did sin, he cried out to God for his mercy, for his grace, and he repented. And so Jesus, as a, I'm sorry, David as a type of Christ is showing God's kindness to the crippled Mephibosheth. Um, and this serves as an illustration of God's grace to fallen sinners, as clearly spelled out in the New Testament. This incident occurs halfway through David's reign. This was actually the pinnacle of David's reign, the pinnacle. If you look back in the um, previous chapter, um, in chapter 8, verse 15, I'll just read this to you. It says, So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered judgment and justice to, justice to all his people. This was immediately after a battle. In fact, this setting of Mephibosheth, where David shows kindness to Mephibosheth, is seated between two battles. It's an appropriate contrast of what God's showing us here on, of his kindness to us. And so David was reflecting on his dear friend Jonathan, who had been killed in battle along with his father Saul about 20 years before. So this is 20 years after Jonathan and Saul were killed in battle. Look at verse 1. Again, it says, Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? You know, in your Bibles, if you have it open there, I would underline the word kindness. It's in verse 1, 3, and 7, because that is the key to this chapter, that word kindness. It is the Hebrew word chesed, often translated loving kindness. It's also, it also means a covenant faithfulness, and we'll see a little bit more of that. So this, this loving kindness that's expressed here is the key to understanding this chapter. It points to God's loyal, unfailing love for his people. It's related to a Hebrew word, um, chasidah, uh, which, means, which stands for uh, stork. Now, have you ever wondered why we associate storks and babies? I always did, too. And I was studying this. I'm like, well, that's where it comes from. It comes from the Hebrews who observed the exceptional love and care that these storks demonstrated towards their young. They would, they would uh, nest them in the tallest fir trees, safe from their enemies, and they would nurture and care for these ugly, gawking baby storks with an unfailing, loyal love. I never saw a baby stork, so I never realized they were ugly. But... You know, hey, even ugly babies, somebody loves them, right? The mama, a mama loves them. Here's another picture. 
These are baby storks, seriously. And then one more. You know, only a mama can love a, a baby like this. But, you know, here's what the Hebrews are saying with that word loving kindness of how these storks cared for their young is that's how God loves us. That's exactly how God loves us. There's nothing in us to merit or deserve the love of God. Grace stems from God's nature. Notice that David said, is there still anyone? Not anyone qualified, not anyone worthy. He just said, is there anyone in the house of Saul whom I can show kindness to? When Ziba informed David that, um, probably with a little, little twinge of warning in his, feet, in, in his voice, that, well, he's crippled in both feet. David didn't ask, well, uh, how badly is he crippled? And David didn't think, well, he wouldn't be any good to us around here in the palace. Nope. All David said is, well, where is he? And he sent for him. Grace doesn't depend on the recipient. That's an important concept. I'm going to say it again. Grace does not depend on the recipient at all. Grace is God's unmerited favor. We cannot earn it. We cannot deserve it. It's all on the giver. There are three things about God's grace that are illustrated in the story of Mephibosheth. The first one is that grace seeks us where we are. Grace seeks us where we are. God initiates, or initiates the relationship through grace. God's grace initiates that relationship. God doesn't wait around for us to come to him. In fact, God's word says that we do not and we cannot come to him in and of ourselves. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, it says, As it is written, there, as it is written there are none righteous, there are none who understand, there is none who seeks after God. God seeks us out and finds us where we are. David sought out Mephibosheth. This cripple deserved nothing and was not seeking David's favor. In fact, he, hadn't, he didn't turn in an application in the palace for a position. In fact, if you look at it, where was he? He was hiding when the king found him. Notice three things about where God found us as illustrated in this story. Again, this story is about us. I believe this truly, that the Old Testament was written to the nation of Israel, but it was written for us, for our benefit as believers today. And so let's see these three things about where God found us as illustrated. First of all, God found us when we were fallen in sin. Twice we are told that Mephibosheth was lame in both feet. When Mephibosheth's father Jonathan and grandfather Saul were killed in battle, his nurse realized that five-year-old Mephibosheth was the heir to the throne and that his life was in danger. It was a custom in those days in the eastern monarchs to eliminate all rivals to the throne. So that nurse grabbed the boy and ran in panic. Well, he fell, and I would surmise that he broke both of his ankles probably, and without modern medicine to set the bones properly, he was left a cripple for life. There's a spiritual parallel here that's obvious. Just as Mephibosheth once walked with his father, so man originally walked with God. But sin came and man suffered a fall which left him as, as a permanent cripple, spiritual cripple, alienated from God. We are born with a nature that separates us from God and prevents us from coming to him. Paul said that we are dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. That is the condition that we were when God sought us out with his great love. We were fallen in sin, permanent, permanently damaged by that fall, by the fall, the fall of man. 
By the way, notice that Mephibosheth was not supernaturally healed of his lameness, even though he lived in, in David's presence in the palace. Every time he clonked in that, the splendor of the palace along, in the splendor of the palace, I'm sure he was saying grace, grace, grace. Just as we do whenever we struggle against the lusts of the flesh. Do you struggle? I know I do. Man, I tell you what, we live in a world, especially guys, every guy in here can probably relate, I'm sure. We live in a very visual society, stuff all around us. Used to be you had to go looking for it, now it comes looking for you. And we struggle. We have two natures in us. When we're saved, the Spirit of God comes immediately and dwells within us. But the flesh is still there until we live in glory and we receive our glorified body. So while we're on this earth, we're Mephibosheth walking through the palace saying, Grace, grace, grace. I need God's grace to sustain me in my struggles. And guys, you know what I'm talking about. Ladies too, but definitely guys, I can relate because I'm a guy. Man, we need God's grace every day, don't we? And so we still have that struggle with the, with the flesh. If you want to read more about that, read Galatians chapter 5. It talks a lot about it. It was God's grace that sought me when I was fallen in sin. And right now I'm a spiritual cripple living in the palace of the king thanks to his grace. So when God's grace found us, we were fallen in sin and we were also far from God. In verse 4, David asks, where is he? Ziba said, he is in Lodabar. Do any of you know where Lodabar is? I think it's the only instance in the Bible where it even talks about it. It was north of Jerusalem, uh, east of the uh, Jordan River. It was way out yonder. That's where it was. He was there for a reason. It was an obscure village. And uh, due to his lineage, Mephibosheth knew that he could be put to death by King David. And so he was living in quiet obscurity out in Lodabar. And wasn't that where we were? I can relate to that. I was living in quiet um, obscurity as well due to my lineage to Adam. I realized that I was deserving of God's condemnation and judgment. And so what did I do? In my heart, I got far away from God because I was afraid. I was. And a lot of people are living out there now in low to bar, far from God. I quietly blocked him out of my life and uh, hoping he wouldn't come look him, but he did. Again, who initiates the relationship God does. That's God's grace. He came and he found me way out yonder. And that leads to the third aspect of our condition. When God sought us out, we were fallen in sin, we were far from God, and we were fearful of God, hopefully. Can you imagine what Mephibosheth must have thought when the king's messengers came knocking? Come with us. King David wants you at the palace. Well, I'll tell you what he was thinking. Look at verse 6 six and 7. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, um, here's your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. So he was afraid he was going to be executed. He knew he was next in line behind his, grand, behind his father, uh, Jonathan. And so, but you know what? He, he illustrates something for us. Fear is the response of anyone aware of his sin. In our day, I think we're in danger of portraying God as so syrupy sweet that we lose the uh, fearful judgment. And so we, whenever we talk about God, if we're too sweet and don't talk about the judgment of God, um, you know, sinners get that wrong. 
I believe that, that, that people come to Christ sometimes with the wrong motivations. You know, what is man's greatest need? Is it, you know, if, if our greatest need was health care, I think God would have sent a doctor. If our greatest need was education, he would have sent a teacher. But our greatest need is salvation, so he sent a Savior. See, our greatest need is to have our sin forgiven, to have the righteousness of Christ. That is man's greatest need. And so we need that fear. We need to be afraid. In fact, you should be afraid if you're outside of Christ, if you don't know him as Savior, because um, like Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. That's what, hey, that's one of the motivating factors. In fact, that is what brought me to God. I knew my relationship with God. God is holy, I am not. And that if I died in my sin, I would be judged for my sin and I would spend an eternity in hell. So we ought to be afraid if we do not understand God's grace. I love Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I ought to have a t-shirt. Don't be a fool. Come to God. God's grace seeks us where we are. We're fallen in sin, far from God, fearful of God. And then what does grace do? Does it condemn us? No. The next thing is grace brings us to the king's presence. Mephibosheth's affliction was a blessing in disguise. If he hadn't been crippled, he could have easily challenged David for the throne. Excuse me just a minute. Again, every time I say Mephibosheth, actually I'm nervous, so it just dries my mouth up. But... He could, have, he could have challenged David for the throne. He could have escaped from the messengers. There's a lot he could have done. But thank God for his grace, he was crippled. And because he was, he, was, he had to go along and, uh, with, with them. He came to the king. It's those that are spiritually well off who often rebel or resist. Can you relate to this? I grew up in a church. I'll just, I'll just be honest with you. I grew up Catholic. And, uh, and in that church, we learned, learned a lot of, lot of nice things. But I hid behind my Catholicism, just like some people will hide behind being a Baptist. You know, they'll say, hey, I'm, I'm Catholic, I'm all right. Or, I'm, I'm, hey, I'm Baptist, I grew up in the church. I was baptized when I was seven years old, I'm okay. Does any of that matter? It's the heart. Um, we know from the story of, of God's dealing with David he said that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And God's always looking at our heart. So what is our spiritual condition? It's those who recognize that spiritual condition who come and respond to God's grace. Mephibosheth came. And did he find judgment? No. I'm going to teach you some. I used to be a school teacher, so I'm going to teach you the ABCs today. You ready? And so if you're taking notes, write these down. I love it. It's called the ABCs of Grace. What Mephibosheth found is that grace brings acceptance in the beloved. Notice verse 7. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan's, Jonathan your father's sake. Do not fear. You see, next slide, please. Go ahead and put that up. David and, John, David and Jonathan had made a covenant with one another. You don't need to turn in your Bible, but let's look at this together. But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness, like the Lord's kindness, as long as I live, 
so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved Himself, Mephibosheth found that he was accepted by David because of David's beloved friend, Jonathan. I'll tell you, my friends, even so, God the Father made a covenant with his beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ. And for Christ's sake, he shows us kindness. Amen? Okay. Uh, Next slide. Paul wrote that God predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. God accepts us, crippled feet and all, because, because of his beloved son. Because of our relationship with his son, God accepts us into his family. So that's the A, is that we have acceptance. Grace gives us acceptance. The B is Mephibosheth found that grace brings blessings Beyond all measure. Look again at verse 7 in the middle there. Where he said. After he said that. I will surely show you kindness. For Jonathan your father's sake. I will restore to you. All the land of Saul your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table. Continually. Jump over to verse 9. And the king called Ziba. Saul's servant. And said to him. I have given to your master's son. All that belong to Saul. And to all his house. You therefore. And your sons and your servants. Shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Now, why does it mention in verse 10 how many sons and servants Ziba had? If you drop down to verse 12, it tells you, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. Wow. Here's this crippled young man living out in Lodabar for 20 years. Now he's living, he's, he's dining in the palace with the king. All of the land of his grandfather Saul was restored to him, and he has all of these servants working for him. Grace upon grace, superabundant, overflowing. That's what grace is. In fact, next slide, Romans 8.32, Paul tells us, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, How will he not also with him freely give us all things? That's grace, abundant blessings. Ephesians 1, 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Peter says, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So everything, all things, you see this wording, Grace brings it all to us. This is what we call blessings. Grace does not withhold any good thing to us. In fact, Psalm 84, 11 says, No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So the ABCs of grace, Mephibosheth found that he found acceptance. He found blessing. And the third thing is that he found communion. Grace brings communion with the king and his children. Mephibosheth ate regularly at the king's table. Did you know that? Anybody know that here? We ought to because it said it four times in four verses there. And I, I look at this. I'm wondering, why is that so important? Man, they mention it. It's like, okay, we got it. You know, by the fourth time. 
the, you know, Mephibosheth ate regularly at the king's table. But can you imagine what it must have been like for, for him? Here he was, this crippled, living out in Lodabar. He's brought to the capital city of Jerusalem. Now he's feasting, eating with the, the most powerful monarch in the world and sharing life with his family. That was certainly a change for him. Even so, God has called us into fellowship with himself and with his son. He's made us members of his family where we share together the bounty of his table. You know, uh, when we're members of his family, children of God, you know, I, I love in, in, in John chapter 1, verse 11, it says, He came to his own, and his own received him not. In verse 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God or the children of God. And so we can be children of God sitting at his table, feasting with his children. His grace has brought us into sweet daily communion with the king of kings and his children. You know, fellowship isn't just eating potato salad and fried chicken, is it? Okay. It's also enjoying one another at that table. Hey, we're, this is a Baptist church, so we can talk about that, right? Amen. But uh, we, we love fellowship, but it's, it's uniting in the hearts with, with one another. And so grace seeks us where we are. Grace brings us to the king's presence. And the last point here is that grace keeps us for the king's return. Note um, in the dealings with Mephibosheth, this was the pinnacle of his career, uh, of his reign, David's reign. Things started to go downhill. If you, if you read in here, you go into, into 2 Samuel chapter 10 and 11, that's where your heart starts breaking. David starts making some poor decisions. Okay, we all know that the um, adultery with Bathsheba, he murdered Bathsheba's wife, basically putting him on the front line, Uriah the Hittite. And so things went south and God told him, hey, you're going to pay. Even though David repented, he lost his son. And and because of those sins, it set off a chain of events all the way to where his son Absalom rebelled against him and tried to take the throne. Let's turn to uh, chapter 16, and we aren't going to go back, so just turn uh, over to chapter 16, verse 1, and I'll read, read here. When David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba. The sur- and this is, a- again, I just want to set the stage. This is after when David's running. He had to flee Jerusalem because his son took over the throne, and so David had to flee. Some people went with him, and he's on the run. When David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys, and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, What do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. Then the king said, And where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will, be restore, will, will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, Here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, my Lord, O King. When I first read this, you know, I remember thinking, man, that was an ungrateful guy. Mephibosheth, you know, Mephibosheth, you know, wanted to try to take the throne of David while he was gone. You know, now David's starting to to return. And, you know, what's going on with this? Well, let's go ahead and see. Turn over to chapter 19. 
Okay, a couple of pages over, chapter 19 and verse 24. And let's see, as Paul Harvey says, the rest of the story. Now, now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, this is again, 2 Samuel 19, uh, verse 24. Now, Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned to the palace. So it was when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king, because your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. But my lord, the king, is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your eyes. For all my father's house were but dead men before my lord, the king. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. Therefore, what right will I still, have I still to cry out any more to the king? So the king said to him, Why do you speak any more of your, of your matters? I have said, You and Ziba divide the land. Then Mephibosheth said to the king, Rather, let him take it all, inasmuch as my lord the king has come back in peace to his own house. And then I read that, and, and honestly, I'm thinking, well, who was right and who was wrong? Is it Ziba or Mephibosheth? You know, hey, Mephibosheth could be lying. He could say, no, 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 I wasn't going to take the throne. Yeah, Ziba deceived me. I was trying to get on the donkey, and he took off. He stepped on the gas, and that donkey just took off, left me here. Well, you know, I look into this story. And I think we see that Mephibosheth really did plan on going along. Ziba did deceive him. And Ziba lied to David that Mephibosheth was hoping to take the throne from him. This part of the story illustrates the believer who has received God's grace waiting faithfully for the return of the king. Now you say, well, how do you know that Mephibosheth was waiting faithfully? Well, I can tell you this, that Mephibosheth's Appearance and his words demonstrate his response to David's kindness and reveal how God's grace keeps us for the return of the king. You see, grace keeps us living loyally in his absence. Mephibosheth adopted the appearance of a mourner. We see in verse 24 that it says that he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his cleat, his, uh, I'm sorry, washed his clothes. Man, David was gone a while too, so you know that he was, David was like, man, you do need to go like take a bath or something. But here's the deal. A usurper was on the throne, and Mephibosheth refused to enjoy the frivolity of Absalom's reign and jump right into that, that reign. He said, no, I refuse. I'm not going to get all cleaned up and enjoy Absalom's reign. I'm going to wait for the king. I'm going to wait for the king. Let me tell you, that right now our king is absent from the earth. There's a usurper on the throne, a ruler of this world right now. And are we enjoying the things of the world? You know, Christ will return. But until he returns, we don't need to jump in and enjoy everything that the world has to offer. This is the devil's playground right now. We need God's grace to keep us for the return of the king. Keep us living lo- um, loyally, but you know, grace also keeps us living 
longingly for his presence. When David realized his mistake in giving Ziba the land, he said, you and Ziba shall divide the land. Now, let me tell you quickly, scholars are not really sure. He could have meant three things. He could have meant that he restored the original agreement that Mephibosheth owned the land and Ziba worked the land. He could have just said, I'm not really sure and divided it evenly between Mephibosheth and Ziba. Or he could have been testing Mephibosheth like his son Solomon did with the two women with the baby and said, hey, I'm just going to divide it. But you know what's important? What's important here is to note Mephibosheth's response in verse 30. In verse 30, he says, rather let him take it all inasmuch as my Lord the king has come back in peace to his own house. Amen? You see, the king himself is our delight. Are you after God for his gifts or for the joy of knowing God himself? God's grace should make, should make us long for Christ's return. Again, God's grace should make us long for Christ's return. So can you relate to Mephibosheth? Anybody here? I know I can. Uh, you know, is, is God... Is God's grace, has it sought you where you are? Has it called you to his presence? And is it daily keeping you for his return? Go to the next slide, please. Is God calling you today? The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. But you cannot come to the Father unless he draws you to himself. That's what God's word says. And he draws you by his grace. He's already initiated the call to you. If you're here today, it's because the messengers have come knocking on the door. And you've come to the presence of the king. It's will you accept Christ and receive him and become a child of God. Don't resist if he's drawing you today. Just as Mephibosheth allowed grace to bring him to the king, so can you. And then Christian, those who are saved, those who are bought with the blood in this room. You know, it's it's a couple of things we've got to ask ourselves. Are we in sweet communion with the king and his children? When we sit at his table and we come here to God's house... And we are the body of Christ. We're God's children. Are we in sweet fellowship, sweet communion with one another? And are you allowing God's grace to keep you daily, waiting for his return? Or are we living for worldly desires? I can relate to Mephibosheth. He sought me out when I was fallen. I was far from him. I was fearful. And God's grace drew me to him. And I accepted him. And he gave me acceptance, blessing, and communion. Where are you in this illustration?